Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music. Hey everyone, welcome to the 257th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Cheston Kwan and Deanna Ivanova. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Adam Though Today we've got Sam Penfield on the show. She is an EP at First Avenue Machine, which is a top-rate commercial production company, and they also have a expertise in mixed-media experiential activations. So they're, they're behind some of the very coolest, most ingenuitive spots that you've ever seen. They've done an OK Go video that's incredible. They set the world record for, like, the largest conveyor belts so that people can, like, play sports on it. All, all sorts of crazy stuff. Too many genuinely incredible spots to list. We'll have some of our favorites on the on the show notes. Do yourself a favor, actually, before, if you're at home, as you probably are, before you listen to this episode, dive in, because there's a lot of really cool stuff that Sam talks about, and I think it'll give you a really nice understanding of where we're coming from and inform the conversation a little bit more. Yeah, they make really high-end commercials, and when I say high-end, I just mean like a lot of people put a lot of hard work into them. Usually they probably have pretty healthy budgets. I'm just guessing based on seeing what they look like. But it's a really creative company. And Sam talks to us a lot about how it is unique. They often work with directing teams that they assemble. They don't bring, they don't hire a directing team. They will put two directors together to build a team, which I think is A, fascinating. And B, for me, that just sounds like such a dream scenario. Like my I think I've mentioned it before that I wish I had a twin brother or twin sister that was like my directing partner and that we were on the same page always and that we just worked together and made cool things because directing can be super lonely when it's you against the budget, against the schedule, against the crew, against the client trying to make something really good. And if you have a partner in that makes things i think a little bit easier and potentially more fun yeah and and i think if you if you see the sort of spots that we're talking about it really helps inform these are all not only are the teams bespoke but the the execution of these ideas is one of a kind as well and so when you see the kind of the different disciplines that it takes it's not just a super cool 
angle that's lit really well with really great performances and things like that. But there's a level of like engineering, fine arts, sculpture. You know, there's you can tell you can you can sense the different disciplines that all kind of go into these spots and that you need to really have and you need to kind of collaborate with in order to bring them to life. It makes a ton of sense. And I think it's a really great conversation. Also, Sam is a, a fountain of information. You know, she's been in the industry for a long time. And I think that really informs her process and her approach. And so I think it leads to really incredible work. It's pretty, it's pretty special. Yeah. We also talk a lot about how to pitch directors and how to get jobs, which I think is obviously important as well. But before we talk to Sam, I wanted to have you maybe define two words for us that come up a few times. First word I would like for you to define is bespoke. Yeah, that's like a, a custom built, right? Like made made to order. It's like kind of like hipster talk, right? About artisanal goods. Like I went to the tailor because I, I bought some, some cloth and I want a bespoke uh, a shirt made or something like that. Like a tailored fit. Yeah. And then can you define EP? What does that mean? Executive producer, which, yeah, in the, uh, in the commercial world, I think is a little bit more complicated. Not too different than filmmaking, but they are much more, you know, a part of a company and a whole and have like some broader company-wide mandates in addition to working on a project basis. How would you describe it, Oren? You're so entrenched in the commercial world. So I think in an EP, in a production company, I think of them as they are a type of producer, right? But they're usually not the person that's figuring out where the truck is parked or exactly how much money is being spent on lunch or even which camera we're renting. They're a high level. So they're maybe working on all the projects and they are more involved on the business end as well than the creative end. They are involved in the creative end. They are saying like, hey, let's pitch this. Uh, They kind of will talk to the agencies and the sales reps and these various people trying to angle how to get jobs because I think oftentimes the executive producers are part owners or partners in the company. So the company's success in general is good for them personally. And so they will take a job maybe that loses money in order to make a good impression on a client so that they make money on the next job. They're a little less nuts and bolts and a little more big picture. But because of that, and the reason having someone like Sam, who's an EP on is helpful is because they have like kind of that thousand foot view of what makes a successful director, what makes a successful project and how to get clients to come back to you. So yeah, it's a, it's interesting, but I just want to make sure people know what, we mean when we say EP because it is a little different in a commercial production company. Whereas in a feature film and even TV, I think it has a little bit more to do with like people that have brought some very important element to a project, whether it's the script, whether it's the director or cast or money or the network or the studio, that's where the EP comes from. In the commercial world, they're a little bit more of like a business person that is helping kind of run the show yeah in my experience they kind of there's two different paths right there's kind of from the businessy corporatey client side agency side right where they they're like oh like i've been working on all these accounts and i wanted to start my own house or the other way around where they start in production and then kind of realize they have a knack for the client side part of the job and you know both can be incredibly successful i think my favorite experiences are where you kind of have different parties who represent both sides you know and then also i think the higher your budget is the more likely it is that there are more people involved and therefore 
you know, the likelihood that you're going to get somebody who's production oriented and also who sees the biggest picture possible is, is a, just a little bit greater. I, you know, I always really appreciate when someone has skin in the game, right? When they are an owner, but also that they truly understand production and get, so they understand why it's important that we go the extra mile and also understand how we work together to get there. And I think Sam is a perfect example of that. Yeah. They need to understand like a big picture of the business, client relations and creative stuff and production. And the reason I am just hammering home the point of what an EP is, is for our listeners that are interested in getting into commercials or just starting to get into commercials. An EP is a very important person to know. If you go to a party and you meet someone and they're an EP at a production company, that is the person you send your spec spots to, your reel, your, that is the person that can get you on a roster and can get you work. And that's why knowing EPs as a director in the commercial world is very helpful because they're the ones that will think like, oh, you know, uh, Veronica is good for this or Matt has the perfect reel for this. So they're the people who hopefully you're friends with them on Facebook and you are posting things and they see your work and they say, oh, you know, this person is, is right for this next job. With only a little further ado, we'll hop into our conversation with Sam. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash justshootitpod. It's the place where you can drop us a couple bucks if you want to show your support. It's the equivalent of perhaps buying us a cup of coffee every once in a while. Or if you're really into the show and you want to show your support at the $10 level, we will send you a free hat at the $20 level. You get a t-shirt. Those are just kind of our way of saying thank you for all of your support. And uh, your money goes towards things like supporting our editor, Sarah, the rest of the team, our Derek, our uh, social media maestro, and also a little bit of outreach to make sure that the community continues to grow and gets bigger and better and that we can kind of keep the lights on on this thing. Speaking of which, we should do another another Patreon event soon. Yeah. You know, Warren, I think what that's a think? great idea. I think maybe, um, maybe we could even have a couple giveaways. Ooh, that is a good very good idea <laughs> now i realize you're referring to something we talked about earlier yeah which, uh, so, so listeners is very exciting yeah some exciting stuff coming some up. exciting stuff is coming up so stay tuned but for those people that fast forward through our patreon plug they'll never know they'll miss out so keep your ears tuned we will be giving away some stuff that i guarantee literally every single person who's listening to this show would like that's worth thousands of dollars yeah yeah so stay tuned everyone in the meantime let's Tune in to our friend Sam Penfield from First Avenue Machine. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. 
Well, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to talk to you. We've heard, I think we've actually tried to link up with some directors that you've worked with in the past, First Avenue Machine folks, and they're all just too busy and successful to make time for us. So, so we got their EP instead. Yeah, we got the, the person the that runs boss. the place. There you go. Yeah, so tell us about what you do at First Avenue Machine. Before I do that, I just want to interview you guys quickly. Oh, oh sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah, we yes. love to talk. That's what yeah. I need my so, uh, wire drive link, yeah. or how does this start? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Matt, I was looking at your website. It says writer, director, and third thing. So that mm-hmm. in, I was very curious what that third thing is. Oh, that I just just a bad joke. I I just think that that's like I feel like everybody's Twitter bio is always like you know director, dad, and chocolatier, or like you know ex clown or something sort of you know cheeky basically. So I thought this was the the meta riff on that basically yeah it's like a a modern version of like insert funny thing here (laughs) and then i had it like i I was checking out your work Uh, i really liked if google was a guy and i was wondering if you'd written that oh i wish no no so that was college humor which was like a company that i did a lot of work with they had kind of snl style like their writer performers and then directors would come in to do those pieces basically i did do a decent amount of improv too much improv if i remember correctly but yeah no i was i was really fortunate to have like a, a pretty tremendous script um okay uh, do you like anything okay now I did? we're uh, gonna move on to we're gonna move on to Oren's <laughs> part of the interview great <laughs> okay this is i found super funny so I was listening to some of the old podcasts and one of the podcasts you it was the night before you were going to shoot the Bush Beans thing with Brian Baumgartner and you were talking about Mr. Bean being put in Mr. Bean location any location and you like inspired by the gag. So it was kind of fun to watch with that lens on it. Do you remember that podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was trying to find basically we had a script that. I mean, you know, in the commercial world, like a script can mean anything. <laughs> it can mean exactly what you would see in a feature film, right? Like fine, written in final draft with characters. It can mean probably the most common version is like two columns, like a video on the left side and audio on the like what we see versus what we hear written in word. But sometimes it's just like a PDF file that's like they joke about beans and then they do this and then they say this tagline and someone is supposed to fill it out at some point and but a lot of times like we're on you know we're about to shoot it and it hasn't been filled out yet so that was one of the bush beans things is like we knew we wanted this guy to drop a bowl of chili and we knew he wanted we need him to make a recipe of chili but there was nothing it was supposed to be funny and all the jokes written in there were basically just callbacks to the office because right this guy brian baumgartner played the character on the office and he said, hey, guys, I'm not going to just do quotes from The Office. A, I don't think that's funny. (laughs) And B, like, I don't own that character. That character is owned by NBC, you know? Um, It's not my show. It's somebody else's show. So there was kind of this, like, weird idea, a little bit of, like, maybe you can convince him to, like, say some of these lines or we'll just change them a little. But to me, the obvious thing about this guy, and I I have to admit, I don't really know The Office that well, but, like, from everything I'd studied about him, he's just, like, such a physical comedian. It's, like, all about these facial expressions and him trying to do the right thing and totally messing it up very much in, like, a Mr. Bean type of way. And so... All I wanted to do was like just come loaded with like 
10 or to 20 like physical gags to pitch to him you know one of them being like what if he turns on the blender the food processor and he you know has forgotten to close it and i had a list of a bunch of things and yeah so to kind of get inspiration i was just like looking for any funny kitchen scenes and that's how i ended up with mr bean and i realized like you know that that guy has just been in every location and done every funny thing you could do in every location. He's like the British Jackie Chan in a way. I'm just disappointed that you didn't try to stick a giant turkey on Kevin Bogdanovich's head. That that's really the the missed opportunity there. I didn't have that pitch, but I had a lot of <laughs> other like fumbly. Yeah, I sure. rem- I remember scene. one that I was bummed that what didn't make it in is like he would stick his hand in bullet chili, be super hot. So he shoves oh, yes, his hand yes. in the sour cream <laughs> and then he tries to put the cheese on. Oh that's yeah. Actually, that's pretty funny. That's a good point. Yeah. And then that's he's like trying point. to like get the cheese off of his hand while he's like trying to give the, you know, the recipe. Yeah. I don't know. There's, you know how it is. There's just like 800 voices. There was just this Super Bowl campaign with Will Ferrell where he goes to Norway. So he punches this globe in the very f- in opening scene and it just seems like such a Will Ferrell, like, improvised type of thing where you're like, oh, he probably was just going nuts and he just had his hand in this globe and now it's stuck to his hand and it's kind of funny. But then there's, like, 20 other, like, shots after that where he's traveling to Scandinavia and Norway and all the, and he has the globe on his hand the entire time. And actually the cinematographer is, uh, I know him, he, he's a dad at my daughter's school and I was asking him, I was like, is that, was that plant? Like, did you shoot an order? Like, did Will Ferrell do that? And then you guys had the foresight to say, like, let's keep this globe on. And he was like, no, we absolutely did not shoot that in order. But that was like an idea Will Ferrell had right at the beginning. And we planned for it. So we had this globe that it looked like he accidentally had punched through and stuck to his hand in every shot. So, yeah, I could have, I could have probably directed that commercial if I would have done the cheese stuck to the hands bit with Brian Baumgartner. They were like, we're looking for a guy that, or or a lady that's directed a person who's had stuff stuck to their hand. Yeah, like can they make, do hand comedy? <laughs> yes. But on, on that ge- genuine <laughs> cheesy joke, I do have a, a, a genuine question for you, Sam. As an EP, you see a lot of different, you, you're kind of like a conduit between the directors and the pitches and the client and agencies and all that stuff. I'm curious to know, we hear all the time, like the best way to er- to win a job is to already have the spot on your reel and that it can be as silly and minute as, you know, oh, does the person know how to shoot cars in snow or on the beach or whatever the, the brief calls for specifically? Does it get that granular? Oh, definitely. We represent a lot of directors who like we have a director in Oslo, Norway, and he gets to direct live action and animation and all kind ta- UGC and all kinds of things because he's in a smaller market and he's talented and is sort of a, just a different system there. But yeah, in the U.S. market, it's like you know, definitely like, have you done this before? Yeah, yeah. Have you done hand comedy with A-list celebrities and car brands for the Super Bowl? Exactly. Uh, and the answer is like, oh, there's 12 people who've done that, and so they keep getting to do Super Bowl ads for the last couple decades. Well, Sam, let, let's uh, let's back out a little bit and talk a little bit more. Tell us about First Avenue Machine and even what specifically what makes you guys unique and also what an EP is. Because And think that's finally, worth- uh, what street that company is located on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> we have a really unique model. And actually, I'd come from, just come from Michael Bay's company 
and other, I've been at other roster shops like Chelsea and, you know, all the directors are very siloed. And what I what think is What do you mean by our, siloed? Like they have their category? Like this is the comedy dialogue person, this is the car person, this is the kids person? Well, like you only have two director offices and three are there that week and it's like chaos to accommodate the director. Oh. But Oh, right. Like they don't interact with each other is what you're saying. They don't interact with each other. And over 50% of our jobs are done by directing teams. And it's it's really not almost never the same team. We basically come up with a team bespoke for whatever the skill sets and temperaments are needed. I mean, we do a lot of mixed media. So oftentimes, you know, the person who is great with real people, actors, is not going to be the person who's great with animation. Or it could be even simpler than that. Like, the guy who does optical illusion work is not the car guy. So we just look at the project holistically and then we build a bespoke team. Usually it's from our own roster, but many times we're pulling in a scientist, an engineer, or just a person who has a specialty. Yeah. And I saw all your mixed media work. So, well, if you ever need an engineer, I have let's a stay in touch <laughs> okay um that's cool yeah we have most of our directors didn't come from film school like one is a sculptor one you know like i said one's an engineer um we have a director who teaches ai at the university level so we have these really different backgrounds and i think that's what makes the work unique and diverse and i, I think that's actually a thing that is worth highlighting because i feel like there are a lot of listeners at home we get this question all the time. We're like, ah, should I go to film school? Is film school important? And, you know, that that answer is going to be different for every single person. Some people really thrive in film school. Some people don't need it, right? Like Oren and I are kind of living proof of that. I went to film school. Oren got an engineering degree. But the difference is, is that, like, in mixed media and in commercials, I feel like oftentimes a diverse and eclectic background is especially valuable. It's always valuable to be an interesting person, but like something about commercials, I think really draws out the people who were sculptors and always thought about filmmaking or, you know, kind of all of those different skill sets. That's not an uncommon thing. So listeners at home, if you went to art school or you're really handy or whatever, all of those skills, all those talents are going to come into to play in your career. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I was watching this like behind the scenes of uh, the Mandalorian last night and Taika Waititi I guess he was like a painter he went to art school and uh was trying to act in plays and no one would hire him so him and like his friend friend Jermaine Clement would just do things on their own but he didn't go to film school either and it's those people that are like like kind of figure it out on their own like tend to bring some kind of new angles I think into film that you film school people just like do not get you all shoot the same over the shoulder shot yep yep it's just uh, one, two, three. I, everything I make looks just like Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. So, How do go. you guys pitch on a project? Do you put the directors together? Like a project comes into you, a, an opportunity to bid. You know, usually in a traditional commercial company, you would send out reels. But how do you send out a reel for a team that's never been a team before? It's very interesting. Like a few years back, we started making pitch videos and it's so weird it's like seems like the most obvious thing because we're all in this visual medium and we have this skill set and we know 
the power of it, but you just don't see a lot of people doing it. And it's, I think it's really like helped us because not only we get a chance to have the director explaining sort of his vision while we're able to overlay references and whatnot, but they also get to meet the human being. And we have such lovely directors that we're not afraid to have them sort of share. And we also, when we approach a project, we encourage the directors to talk about what are they drawn to about it and maybe something from their past or their personal experience or their inspiration. And so we're trying to get beyond like the words on the page and, and really let people sort of meet us. And it's been really powerful. It's also really helpful when you're explaining, you know, the AI concept or whatever. And I think people just prefer like to look at a three minute video than to go through a 30 page treatment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially like sometimes when you put together those big, big treatments, you know, and then you know that you're going to have to walk them through it. And you're seeing like, oh, it's 30, 40, 50 pages. Like that's just a slog. Like sometimes treatments are designed, I think of them oftentimes to like, you know, the rhythm is like swipe, 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 read. You know what I mean? Like I think oftentimes it's like more the impression, the tonality of what you're aiming for and then some meat in there for sure, but that it's like more of an experience. But like when you have to walk someone through and explain why you picked three these three different things and then explain the joke that you wrote at the bottom it, it it's a marathon you know it's a much more pleasurable experience just to kind of get that mainline sort of um pitch video that's got some music and this you know snappy and all of that i love that yeah i love both i mean i i actually like really one of my favorite parts of like pit, bidding on a job is walking people through the treatment i do mostly comedy and like it's kind of like a little bit of not a performance it's a conversation but it's like it's funny it's like you get to you know show your personality and stuff but i have found that anytime i include videos it like it makes it 10 times as good and people will watch them and i kind of always think of the treatment as kind of like what matt said like there's kind of three types of levels that people will read a treatment one is like they'll just scroll through the images real quick two is like They'll click on some links and maybe read the big headlines or, you know, a little bit. And then there's the third person like reads the whole thing and like that you should kind of design in a way that works for all three of those people. But yeah, the video presentation obviously is better, but just to like get technical or maybe, I mean, I, I think you work on much bigger campaigns and things than Matt and I do. So maybe it's a little different, um, especially like having an established company that has this international presence, but I guess from what I understand, like in the traditional commercial way, like, you know, an agency says we want to we want to do this campaign. Um, let's find a company to do it for us and a director. And then they get reels, you know, dozens or even up to like a 100 or so reels of directors and companies before they create this like short list. Right. They choose a few of the companies or directors that seem like they have something, some potential to work on this. And that, that's when you would do the treatment or a video or something. So I guess, how do you get, is that true with First Avenue Machine as well? Or if it is, how do you get from knowing about a campaign existing to having your directors spend the time and energy to actually make this video 
to pitch? You know, we're very relationship driven. So we work with a lot of same people over and over. So there's that trust factor. We always take this step before we send reels. Like we get on the phone with the agency producer and we really ask like a million questions so we can understand exactly what's important because that isn't always on the pages. And then we, you know, <laughs> one of the funny things is like, I make all the reels. So, you know, you think like some kid in creative development do, is doing it, but but I feel like I'm the best person to do it. So I make every single reel myself or if someone starts it, I vet it because that's, you really need to cut through all the, you know, 50 sort of reels that they're looking at. So you want to be really on point and you really only get one chance. You don't get feedback. They don't say, oh, you know, we like you guys, but you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just you're in or you're out. So um, that's, I find like really important to hit them exactly right. And, and I, I know the work. Yeah. Can I grill you a little bit on the real creation? Yes. So, right. And for listeners that are kind of interested in commercials, but not there yet, or are kind of just trying to figure out what the heck we're talking about. Like when you try to get a commercial job, you show people a reel and, and, and not, and, not a sizzle reel, really like a list of, curated there we go uh, of the spots that you have at your disposal basically so you earlier we were saying oh like can he do cars in the snow you're saying oh i know all of oren's work where he's done cars in the snow so i'm gonna really kind of like put them in the right order but also make sure that the comedy plays right it's like making a playlist or like a mixtape i mean i think that's the common knowledge what i was gonna grill sam about is like their their version of that which is like a how many spots do you usually send put on a reel? Oh, it really does vary. I mean, if you have, I, I always assume that people are going to look like at like the first three spots and nothing more. So if there's three perfect spots, then it's three. But a lot of times it's like, well, in this one he shot the car in the snow, and this is a Super Bowl spot, and this one like. He has like a a pediment on his arm. So sometimes you have to make the reel a little longer to give them a little bit of the view. And, and I also write copious notes to go along with the reel, talking about the director, pointing them to certain work, why it's included and, and trying to give them the lens in which to look at the reel. Okay, cool. Yeah. That was going to be my next question is how much, how much does the reel speak for itself and how much do you kind of set it up? And it sounds like because that that is actually I think it was an unpaid endorsement of mine recently, which is the the setup is so such a big thing. Like I used to just send people samples and be like, oh, do you have celebrities whatever? And here's five spots. But then I would just start being a lot more specific, like, hey, you know, this isn't a celebrity, but they are like, I, I really think that this energy matches what we need, you know, for the spot and it seems to make a difference for me. Yeah, I think it's really important. Like you you know the work and and you know the director, like providing that lens that you want them to see the work through. And I think it also really helps the producer. So she has that anecdotal information to share with the creative director, which we do in the notes that go with the reel, but we also are able to achieve a lot by speaking to the producer before the reel goes. And and really ask, like I'll say, 
have you heard your creatives walk through this spot? And can you talk to me about it? And can you help me understand what their priorities are? Is it that you've done a Super Bowl? Is it that you've done a like a truck in the snow? Is it that you have, you know, have this sort of comedic thing? Celebrities or is it yeah. funny? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm curious. So so that that all makes complete sense and sounds like a version of the the process that we're the most familiar with. But I'm curious, how does it change when you're doing the matchmaking of kind of combining two different creatives together to for one project? Well, I think, you know, we like to get, we never bid our directors against each other. So, but when we're sending reels, we want to give options. So sometimes we'll say, hey, Bob Partington, he, he's really the master of these perspective tricks and we can pair him with this person or this person and we give options because one thing I've learned is like, I'm always surprised, right? Like I'll think this is a stronger reel and this is maybe the weaker reel. And you know, it's, you never know how people are viewing the work or what they want to see or how they're receiving it. So we will give them options. And then as far as like the matchmaking in house, it happens really, it, it's pretty easy because almost all of our directors came to us with like, they had a student-ish reel or whatever, and they've kind of grown up in our system. We don't have a lot of director turnover. So they're really open to the collaboration. So you, you kind of sort of pick that director you know needs to be involved like Bob Partington because it's all optical illusions and then you talk to that director about like who he thinks he might like to be paired with and we have a conversation and we make sure that they're excited about the pairing before we submit. Wow does the budget of the spot affect like which director you are submitting? Ish I mean we have sometimes a build director and they you know, or a foreign director and they want to get more North American work or they want to move the needle of their reel in a certain direction and you have a trusted client who is basically trusting you to put your best foot forward. And and the thing about our model is it's very precious to us, but it's it can feel a little tricky to someone who's not used to the company. You're like, well, why are you giving me these two directors, is it like the guy I don't want isn't available or what, you know, they're kind of a little suspicious. So it's really important that you are truly thinking about what's best for the project and that you can validate that and that they feel that and that you never like play with the model. Like they never start with one director and then end with an, the, the partner, you know, that we, are really clear about our model and that these both these directors will be with the with the project through to the end or if that's not the case like so and so is going to drop off once we move into post we always talk about that up front because once i feel like once we'd start to play with the model it it really wouldn't work right i have a, one last question about reels which is um do you feel like directors are pretty good judges of their own work if you had your directors make their own reels as opposed to you do you think they would make very different reels than you did 
I don't know. That's an experiment I could try, but I don't think that would be super healthy for for the relationship. I'll say this. Whenever like uh, my rep is like, hey, we've got a spot or whatever, you know, what do you think? My list is always way too long. I'm like, oh, well, you got to make sure. Well, yeah, know, we're always doubting ourselves. Like, it's oh, like, but oh, we well, have this one cool this thing This one's here. so cool. Yeah, add that one. Make sure that we can't. List. Well, what about my short film? Like, you know, there's actually a, a famous person that, you know, like I just always I pile on because I'm, you know, excited about the job and want to get it. But I think the having the perspective of understanding what the companies are looking for and also knowing what the only the a plus work is right like that's part of the job is curating it to be the 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 creme de la creme for this brief rather than just all of the stuff that you like even if like you know orin and i've suggested spots that like we don't even like that much but it's it's got a tonka truck that's in some sand and that's sort of like snow and it's sort of like a truck so maybe that's perfect you know yeah we kind of have a no clunkers policy like when i make reels I also want to show a lot of work, but I always make myself like I put the best work up top and wire drive and the sort of iffy work at the bottom. And then depending on the size of reel, I force myself to like, if it's a five spot reel, I'm like, I'm going to lose one. Or if it's a seven spot reel, I'm like, I'm going to lose two. And you know, it's always better to err on the side. Brevity is, what do they mm-hmm. say? Brevity is the, the soul of wit, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And it goes back to like something I wanted to say about treatments because you were saying like these 30, 40 page treatments. The advice I would give anyone is you don't want to present something back that's like, it's like a total vision, right? Because if you're saying you're collaborating and you're inviting collaboration and you've been briefed once, like taking it all the way to storyboards and and making people feel like, oh, this vision is really locked, it's I don't think it's really what people want. They want they want there to still be some color to fill in and they want to know that they're collaborating. And sometimes when you just go too far, and believe me, we've made that mistake. It's almost off-putting, I think. It's like, oh, the director isn't going to be interested. Well, he's not going to be interested if we don't do it his way. And I think pulling back a little bit, even if you sort of have this vision, but maybe you share a couple keyframes instead of a full storyboard. So that invites like more openness. And I've really gotten the feedback. Like it just seemed too locked up, you know? Yeah. Well, so you mentioned that some, a lot of your directors have been with you for a long time, like since film school or wherever, engineering school, dental school, whatever, wherever you hire your directors from, uh, how does somebody get on your radar? Like, how do you, does someone with one And with a no clunkers policy, right? Like, that's like a tricky thing, right? When you're Well, they can have clunkers, right? You just would never show them. You wouldn't show them. I guess that's true. They need to have at least one non-clunker. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming. You know, we, because we have this collaborative culture, it's almost a more difficult thing to sign someone on because you not only need to know that they're a good filmmaker, but you also need to understand their temperament and their willingness to collaborate. And you, there's a big getting to know you period. And I don't think we've ever signed anyone that we haven't done like a project or two with them, like for interested 
we'll bring them onto a team and that way we have the, a director who's kind of has oversight and he knows all about the first app process and he's also keeping an eye on everything. So we pull someone in into a team and that makes it easier for the new director, right? They have some guidance, they have a partner and the partner is someone we trust. So it's kind of an insurance policy. There's a lot of mentorship. As a matter of fact, a lot of the directors that we've signed and actually probably our most successful director, we signed based on kind of a student reel. So what we're looking for is not like production value and polish. We're looking for a unique perspective and a way of seeing the world that's a little bit different. So it's really not about this sort of high-end production value. It can be a student film or whatever that is really sparks our imagination. And then there's this a lot of getting to know you and making sure that we work together to as much for us to check them out as for them to check out the culture of the company and just make sure that it's a fit because we we really like long-term relationships. And so we do a lot of vetting. Yeah, this filmmaking puzzle is like so hard to figure out because <laughs> like on one hand you say, we're looking for people with a unique perspective that we haven't seen before that have something to bring that we can say like, look at this person, they do this one thing like in a totally different way. And on the other hand, we're saying these creative people worked with this company and this agency and this brand for three months to come up with this very specific uh, vision of a marketing campaign. And they're trying to find the person who's done the same thing before to match up with. And so it's like, how do you and, and then you're offering them someone with like a totally unique perspective that's probably very different than what they have written. So I'm not saying that the, that those conflict with each other. I'm just saying that's part of the what makes this industry difficult to succeed in because you have to be like so unique and interesting and original while at the same time being able to like plug yourself into this moving train and not only do exactly what they want, but exceed those expectations in a way that's like fits in perfectly with the brand, but also brings a unique element to it. It's just, it's like a really hard problem to solve perfectly. I, I think that's true in a typical model where one project, one director, we do have a mentorship mentality and where we want, we have a up and coming director and we know they'll be great for it, but their real isn't totally there. We'll pair them with somebody who either will be their creative director or their co-director. And that way we're, and, and we just talk about it. I mean, that's the thing about us. We're super transparent. We'll just, I'll say to the agency producer, Hey, this director is sort of perfect for it. And she brings this really unique perspective, but we're going to pair with the senior director who's been here for 10 years and create that collaboration. So it's, we always look at like what's best for the project. That's always because, you know, we have to compete against everyone else in the world. So it's like always putting your best foot forward and always being really transparent about like how it's going to work and, and why this team. And that way we can really move the needle on a reel very quickly. We've had directors who come to us are like completely CG directors who want to do live action. 
So the first six jobs, they're paired with a live action director and they're learning from that director and they're getting that work on their reel. But kind of what Oren said, it's like no clunkers out there, but yeah, you can have your clunkers with us as long as they're a unique perspective. And that's what we're always looking for is not the pop. We don't need, we're not in a position of having to bring on directors who already have their reel all set. We can really build them through this sort of mentorship program and through the co-direction program. And like I said, we work with a lot of repeat customers who really trust our process and trust us. And we can create opportunities that way we can, like I said, we can take a CG director and bring him into live action, or we can take a visual director and by pairing him, move the needle on his reel so that he's doing more performance. So it's, it's good for the director, it's good for the company, and it's good for the project. And, and that's what's, if you can, if you can answer those three questions and you have a winning team. I know, Oren, I'm sure you've got uh, a lot of important questions, but I, listeners are going to kill me if I don't say or don't ask how a young director gets on your radar in the first place, right? Like how, how, how do they even show you their unique perspective and the fact that they have a, have a, a different way of looking at the world? Like, how do you kind of come across people? Is it socially? Is it through your network? Do you have a submission process? Is it more or less regimented? How does that work typically? Well, I'm super busy, but I do, if someone emails me, I always take a quick peek because you just never know where that rock star is. So I cut out time in my schedule to make sure I'm looking at directors who have submitted, but don't go crazy now and everyone email me because it's already a lot, but you know, it's just various ways. It's like a director recommends another director. We're needing to create a collaboration with somebody outside of the roster. And then we get introduced to them that way. Many ways. Yeah. Many, many ways. That sounds like actually the one that makes the most sense to me because it's organic, but also like you have the opportunity to figure out if you work together well, right? Like there is that social aspect of it as well that I think is nice. And it's also like you're the person you're being introduced to is vouched for in some way. And so like we talk about on the show, there's a lot of different kind of subtle social ways that Hollywood recommends one another to people. And I think that that can feel really impenetrable because you want you want to be able to say, oh, well, I take a ticket and I get in line and then they review my materials. And if it's good enough, everyone's happy. But like that, it's much more complicated and complex than that. Yeah, that's very interesting, though. Yeah, anyone who sparks our interest, but we don't have an immediate need for them. And we're I don't mean to say this as a discouragement, but we keep our roster as sort of tight and small as we can. But anyone who sends something and, and we take a look and we're like super interesting goes into a database with like a link to them and then some notes about what we loved about their reel. And then, you know, we go back and we take a look at that database when we have a need we can't fill. And we, you might have sent your stuff a year ago. So we have to check like, oh, are you signed somewhere? You know, are you available? But 
you know, it's really important to have a bunch of different perspectives and skill sets in order to pull off this model where you're creating bespoke teams. So we're very open to pulling in people into a collaboration with one of our directors. So that's usually the way it starts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in which case, oftentimes, I imagine those people have a unique specialty, right? It's not just, yes. oh, oh, they're a good director. It's like they are especially suited because of this unique thing, right? Exactly. And, you know, we also have a really great record of like promoting from within. So we've had two directors that started in our creative development team, which is that's the team who updates a website and helps directors with treatments by pulling references and kind of handles all that stuff. And we have two directors who started in creative development and one became an editor at the company and then left to go freelance and then came back and helped us with creative direction and directing freelance. And eventually we signed him and another director who also started in creative development. And we kept using a freelance for creative development and different things. And, you know, we're, we're, she's not quite signed, but she's working on a project with us now. So we are relationship people. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Because I feel like sometimes it can be a little daunting, you know, to be in those kind of support roles. It feels impenetrable to be, you know, directing your own work. So that's awesome. Yeah, it kind of goes with the this thing that we hear over and over and over, not just in commercials, but like all aspects of filmmaking as a career, which is that you just have to like hang around people for 10 years and keep, you know, talking to them and helping them and showing them your stuff. And at some point, you know, those relationships pay off, but like it's don't expect it to happen overnight all the time. Well, I'm curious, I guess like the super obvious question is, you know, a lot of directors have strong opinions on things. That's kind of the job. How do you take two directors that have never worked together and you put them on set together? Do they ever disagree on anything? How does that suss itself out? I mean, I have some funny stories, but I'm not going to share them. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, you okay, know, we hate funny stories. In the yeah. Program. Nothing is, uh, let's see. Can I tell this without doing it? Yeah, I think I could tell it. We create a director pairing and, you know, we, you learn your lessons, right? We had to create a director pairing and we were in Portland to meet with a famous agency about yeah. the project. And we were having Nike breakfast. <laughs> we were having breakfast. KFC. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we were having breakfast that morning before we went to the agency and this whole discussion boiled up like who's going to direct the talent because that's one thing is you know you can't have two directors directing a talent that's an intimate relationship so you know this was sort of new I was sort of newer to the company and I hadn't learned my all my lessons about collaboration yet so we're at breakfast and it was chaotic you know they both felt really strongly about it and you know it was not a great meeting. They almost didn't finish their <laughs> vegan eggs and their gluten-free bagels and yeah, other Portland it wasn't, jokes. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really just wasn't a great, great meeting because I think they were, the carryover from breakfast was like we couldn't resolve it. It was just kind of like, uh, you know, it definitely everyone in that room did not feel the, any camaraderie between the That's directors. really funny. Yeah. Are there any other? Home. That's great. Yeah. Are there any other like kind of things that when you have a directing team on that you that are important aside from having one person talk to talent? What What are the other kind of? I think really clearly defining the roles and and making sure we we talk to the directors about the pairing before we submit them, and a, that conversation is usually quite long, and it's about defining the responsibilities of each person and having that be clear going in, having learned my lesson. And once they sign up for it, it's, it usually goes super smooth. You know, it's, I always believe in like, talk about the money up front, talk about the, you know, have all the conversations up front before you even submit. So, you know, that's a great time to have the conversations like, I'll submit you if we can work this out. But again, at our company, because most people came to us with sort of student-y films or, you know, sort of we, there was one guy that we first used as art director and productions designer, and he helped this other director design all the sort of contraptions for Google Speed Test, which is one of our most famous pieces. And we just, you know, he was in the BTS and I was just like, he just jumps off the screen. So we have a content department. So we started talking to him about, you know, being an on-camera personality and we have a management division and managing him. And we were able to get him a show, his own show that he hosted that was really in his wheelhouse. And, you know, it's, I forgot the question. Can you go back? Oh, no, no, that's okay. It's a sign of a good question and a good answer. But yeah, the, the other things that may be, you know, the pitfalls of, of directing teams, the other things that like, okay, like, let's make sure you talk about money. Let's make sure you talk about who's talking to the actors. Because, you know, it makes me think of, and I, I'm just now realizing this about myself, part of what I like about directing is that my responsibilities are quite clear in that, like, it's kind of all my responsibility do you know what i mean one one time i tried to team up with matt and i was like all i want to do is talk to the talent and the cinematographer and you can do all the craft service stuff (laughs) and go to all the meetings i put in all the money yeah 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 Yeah, for sure all the conference calls are are mine um but it didn't didn't work out but we've worked we actually matt's working with a producer soon that we both worked with that is not a big fan of directing teams I don't remember exactly the reason, but I know there's some there's some directing teams that are kind of prickly in in a weird way. I've always like dreamed of being part of a directing team, and I've I've co-directed some things, and I I like enjoy the like monitor chatter of like, ooh, that was really good. What if we try this? You know, like it's you it's an instant validation, right? Or instant checking you, and I mean, like what you're saying of like bringing two different disciplines together is like awesome. Like especially if you're doing a big CG component or a big, you know, special effect, like practical effects, or like you said, like a dance performance or something, you know, like you watch a movie like La La Land or something and you're like, the choreographer is like directed half that movie, right? Yeah, it's, it's really cool. The question in my mind is part of what I think is important to, for a director is that they're the final say 
on creative decisions, right? Like every you you listen to everyone, you really weigh all of the different pros and cons. Production wants it this way, art wants it that way, the actor schedule is this and that or whatever. But at least there's ultimately a person whose job it is to say, okay, I respect everyone. I've listened to you all. I know what I want. And I think the best choice is this. And now we're headed forward. Right. But with two people, that's two that all of a sudden the equilibrium is out of whack. Right. Like, do they, is it that, is that part of the conversation that you have up top of like, Hey, like, let's talk about how our decision-making process works. I mean, I would just also say I disagree with the premise of the director is the final say because we're in a service business and ultimately our, we can suggest things, but our agency and client have the final say. And I'd that, also say that is say the bitter that, truth. That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> and I'd also say, you know, I would not want to be at some of my past companies and trying to create director pairings because if you're a director who's used to working alone, I think it can be really awkward or tough or whatever. But remember, most of our directors kind of came up in the system. So they've been collaborating. That's the way, I mean, they, they do, we definitely do like, like I said, 50% are collaborations, 50% are single directors, but the directors at our company understand the model and they embrace it and they really enjoy it. And we sometimes will say, Hey, do you want to do this project? And be like, yeah, but I might want to team up with Tim on this because I think it'd be a great project to team up. And they really embrace it and they work out. They're all friends. So that's why I always, I have, I just hired a new EP and I'm like, no funny business because all our directors talk to each other, all friends, and they all know each other super well. So you, if you say something to one director, you just have to assume that that message is going to everyone. So it's very different in our company. I've never been a company where the individual directors are really friends with each other, like truly friends, like they hang out outside of work and go to each other's bar mitzvahs or whatever, you know, it's a culture of collaboration and it's truly embraced. And it gives also directors sometimes some flexibility. Like, you know, I keep bringing up Bob Partington. He'll be so happy to get so many mentions, but he has a specialty, right? So sometimes he's needed across projects for the particular thing he does, but he can't direct multiple projects at the same time. So sometimes in a pairing, and again, we're always transparent. It's like, we're bringing, you know, John Doe's going to direct it, but Bob is going to be in charge of like all the perspective stuff. And, and we even define the roles a lot of times to the agency. So they really understand who's doing what, et cetera. And then that way he can, you know, he can direct something that has this, perspective trick and he can creative direct or creative consult on another project with another director who has it. And it's, it gives the directors more flexibility and actually able to sometimes, you know, sometimes you just have that little bit of overlap. It's not that important, but you, you sort of go, Oh, I don't want to have to turn down this other project, but by having this sort of system in place, you know, they can, 
work across projects in different roles. We have junior directors who sometimes will art direct for another director. So we are pretty loose in that way. Like, you know, it's directors can always say no. And and we embrace that too. We don't want anyone being on a project that they don't want to be on or they don't feel good about. But once but when they sign on, the collaboration thing is not really such an issue you'd think because they're all used to it. Mm-hmm. And and also I wonder if it sounds like in the matchmaking, there are pretty clear domains, right? So like everyone's gonna have opinions and ideas, but like if if it's a question of like, hey, how do we do the 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 forced perspective bit, right? Well, obviously we're gonna defer to Bob because he's the master at that. And so like if there, you know, if there ever was somehow someone butting heads with him about it, it you know, even just creatively trying to think through all of the different op- options and possibilities. There is like, you know, a, a wheelhouse, so to speak, for everybody, which I think is interesting as well. Yeah, that is like my dream way of working. I mean, it sounds like a collective. And I know there's like some other companies, I think Tool has kind of done stuff like that and Sandwich, obviously. And, you know, obviously a lot of like the CG houses, like Stupid Buddies and stuff like that. I love those guys. Yeah, not not <laughs> super bright, but they're... They are friendly. <laughs> they are buddies. Yeah, well, at least they're honest about it. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's like when I was an engineer, that was the thing. You work on a team with people and no one is more important than anyone else. You know, there is a boss. There's like a hierarchy. But at the end of the day, like the people are excited by building on each other's things. Yeah. Very different than like I'm assuming Michael Bay, you didn't team him up with any other directors and stuff. No. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I just want to clarify to people at home, though, also that to me, when I'm talking about like, oh, what if people disagree or this or that or whatever, it's 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 not about not respecting collaboration or teamwork. That is essential and like kind of in the DNA of all filmmaking, I think. And some people tend to think that like, oh, I'm an auteur. I have my vision, this and that. I just was getting at like sometimes... I can be such a nice guy that like you hear everybody out and like, you know, different department heads in particular are going to come at it from different perspectives. And so like a big part of my job is like, sometimes you do have to like, you know, you have to let somebody down. If the producer wants it one way and the, you know, your production designer wants it another way, like some, something's got to give, you know what I mean? I mean, I think that's why it's so hard to make a good team. Cause you have to be, people that are like aligned with each other, you know, but I don't know. I I think, I think it's great when people are aligned, but I think one of the values of having two directors is number one for the director who, you know, it's only at the top. There's a lot of pressure on directors to have a partner, a sounding board can be really valuable. I also, you know, our model is like always what's best for the project. So when I say like, we're doing mixed media and we're going to pair a live action director with the animation director. They pitch together. They do all the pre-production together and we get that Well, in non COVID times that animation director is coming to the pre-pro they're coming to set because you know, on set like magic happens and ideas spring forth. And so many times like having the animation director there, he can say to the live action director, if you do this with the actor, I can pick it up in animation here. And 
it's not an idea that he would have had, didn't have in prep, and post is too late for that idea. So like we truly make a team and they really see the project all the way through. And the ideation doesn't stop like once the job is a word, the ideation and the development continues. Even like having the animation director on set and bringing ideas is adds a lot of value because some of the best moments in the film happen because the animation director is there and he's looking at it from you know his perspective of what's going to work for him later, what's going to make it better later. And, you know, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. Super cool. I'm curious, was this the genesis of First Avenue Machine? Or yes. Is it, oh, interesting. So from conception, it was like, let's make this kind of master blaster of directors. That's great. Well, the first was started because there was an ambition to do features. And one of our founders, Arvin, made this really interesting film where he went to the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. And now this was like 16 years ago. And if you were going to put CG on top of live action, you definitely had a lock camera, right? So he took his camera to Brooklyn Botanical Gardens and he had a very loose handheld camera. And then he tracked onto the plants and flowers, a CG aspect. And it was really written up a lot. I mean, it was viral on MySpace. And, um, and, and also it was written up in all the technical magazines. And folks at 180 Amsterdam saw it and said, hey, we are really interested in you for this Adidas spot. So, you know, never directed a commercial and now it's like this big Adidas spot. He did it and then he went on to do a bunch of other commercials, mostly in Europe, because at that time, I think they were more open to taking chances on young filmmakers and built up a bit of a reel. And then we signed Aaron Duffy and basically Arvin was too busy to do this Audi commercial for BBH in London. And he brought on Aaron, who basically had a studio, uh, like a student reel. But based on Arvin's experience, they accepted the pairing and Aaron did a lot of the heavy lifting. So it was really kind of born out of necessity, but the model really works and we just embraced it. And we like, we love young upcoming directors. I remember being at Michael Bay's and I felt sometimes I was like just taking in a, an inquiry and rewriting like, oh, it a little bit and saying it's a rash from all like, these explosions. It's too much. <laughs> and, you know, he'd say yes or no. And it's really exciting for me. I've been producing, I've been in production for 30 years. It's really exciting as a producer, executive producer to be in the position of, you know, a lot of jobs come in for first ab machine and then really building that team and thinking about all the things that you think about when you build a team is really exciting to me and always with an eye what's best for the project. But also, you know, I have this up and coming director and if I create this pairing, 
it's going to be great for their reel. It's going to be great for their experience. And it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that origin story too. I feel like that really, it's such an organic way to have that aha moment of like, oh, we did it with us just kind of like naturally just trying to help each other out and meet new people. And that, that could be turned that organic moment could be turned into something that you almost systematize in a way to help mentor people is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I have one final question. It's kind of a meta question, which is, you know, we, the reason we're talking to you tonight is because we met you through a, I think a a PR rep of some sort. And we had talked to him, Mark Cruz, multiple times about different directors that you guys represent. And I, I'm curious about, the kind of business strategy or like how PR plays into being a production company, like why you guys think that's important. And like, is that something? Cause I think a lot of directors and aspiring directors are on here and, you know, everyone likes being mentioned on Twitter or getting into a film festival, but what's you, you work at a really high level with big brands and big companies, big campaigns. What is the value of PR for someone like you when your work already kind of stands alone? Well, you know, I one of, we have a bunch of models that we live by, and one of them is humble and hardworking. You know, I appreciate you saying, you know, that we wouldn't maybe need PR, but you really do. I mean, some I just last week somebody said, oh, I thought you guys were just a post company. You know, mm-hmm. it's... You're like, well, you, what did you say? <laughs> so it's I think it's like I said before the recording turned on I'm not a public speaker but I am so jazzed about the company I am really a fan of the company and I love the company so if you want me to talk about the company I can talk about that all night and you know it's you know I do anything I can do for my director's success so if getting the word out in any way, shape or form um, is part of that drill, I'm happy to do it. And when I checked out your guys' podcast and realized that, you know, this is really information, for, a lot of information for people who are striving and who are trying to find their way. I think when you get to a certain place in your life and your career, one of the favorite things I do is mentor people and work with street lights on life skills and, you know, just giving my time and sharing the knowledge because I feel so blessed to have found the perfect career. I started, I was an artist selling my terrible art on Venice beach and I needed a day job and there was a reception position at a production company. I don't think I really knew what a production company was. And, you know, you jump in there and I've just, for me, this industry has been amazing and afforded me so many opportunities and amazing lifestyle. And I'm super grateful for that. And I'm always really happy to share about the company or my experience or mentor somebody. It's just part of my DNA. So you know, that made it really exciting to me rather than talking, you know, just to peers or presenting to people who can 
provide a job for me, like the idea that maybe somebody gets a little nugget out of this or a little inspiration out of this and takes it forward is really exciting. And I think it's, it might be nice for someone to hear, like, it's not about the polished high production value. It's really about having, you know, a unique perspective. Like maybe someone grabs that piece and it pushes them forward just a little bit more. That's, that's exciting to me if that happens. Cool. Great answer. Yeah, for me, it's just the fame. Just want to put a just shoot it hat on, walk around uh, the Silver Lake Reservoir. And people are like, wow, hey, yeah. And see if I always anyone say I want to be rich, me. but not famous. <laughs> <laughs> so one of our ethos is make it hard. And besides the funny sexual innuendo, it's really about, you know, other people come up with the big ideas and we're left with the execution. So we really work hard on thinking through the execution and how it can support the storytelling and maybe in some cases be a story in itself because a lot of our work is like, how'd they do that? So we get a lot of hits on our BTS. So, you know, we tend to get a project and then make it super hard on ourselves. Like, why don't we do this all in one take or, you know what, we're not going to melt this room in CG like the client wants. We're going to build the sculptural thing and melt it for real in camera. So we focus a lot on the execution and we know that none of our best work was easy. If it was easy, it ends up not being memorable. So we embrace like make it hard as a ethos. And the other ethos we have is running into problems. And what we mean by that is there's always challenges in production. There's always obstacles. There's always curveballs thrown your way. But if you run towards those challenges with an open mind and creativity and a great attitude, that you those challenges often redefine the creative in a better way. So we really embrace like, we don't want problems, but when they arise, we really embrace like, how can we use this challenge to make the creative better? And I think that the final one we live by every day is failure is not an option. Because if you take failure out of the equation, all you're left with is how do we succeed? So those are things that we remind each other of. And we do talks about um, South by Southwest or CAN and just trying to share that ethos of hey, let's not make it easy. Easy is never produces a great result. Like let's let's dig ourselves into the biggest creative hole we can and then scratch and crawl our way out. And then you end up with something really spectacular. Yeah, and that's kind of like your signature, right? Like just looking through all the spots on your website, every single one of them is like, is that a set? Did they build that? Is that a place? Is that CG? Is this a human? Yeah, and just to kind of double down, I think, Sam, the other thing that I have been thinking about a lot recently is if you don't run towards those problems, it doesn't mean they that they go away. Like if you're ignoring them, they're still the creative, like the story doesn't work or this character character isn't inconsistent or this joke doesn't land or this you haven't figured out this effect yet or whatever that piece is. So the sooner you charge towards it, confront it, figure it out, and even if that means changing the project somehow, like it'll be changed by the solution, right? But then it's just that much closer to being 
what it's ultimately going to be no matter what. And so you just you're just spending a lot of like time worried about it or or conscious energy ignoring it or whatever it is. Just jump on it. Just go for it. I feel like that's something that I constantly have to remind myself. Like if it's broken, just go fix it. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of um yeah, we'll just figure that out on set. It's yeah, like that just it just it doesn't work. That, right? It doesn't work. Yeah. We yes, have love it. uh like a little anecdotal story. We were working with Johannes Leonardo on some big TV stuff for Adidas or Adidas and they gave us they had acquired the rights to this Kate Moss photo and she happened to be wearing Gazelle that they were the Gazelle shoe that they were relaunching. So they were like, hey, we give you X small amount, inserts very small amount of money. Like, could you take this photo and kind of bring it to life, maybe a cinemagraph or whatever? And we were like, sure. And they had a 10-week timeline, so it was plenty of time to do it. And the only catch was that Kate Moss had to approve her likeness in anything we did. So we did like, Eight, for eight and a half weeks, we did all this design and tests and whatever and could never get a yes from her. It was always no. And it kind of, we were kind of at that point, like she, we need to do something drastically different to get her to approve it. And also now there's a week and a half before the launch. So we have to, we really have to come up with a Hail Mary. So we approached the agency and said, you know, and you have to look at the gazelle spot for this to make sense. But we said, you know, we think it could be cool to hire three Kate Moss body doubles and then build the exact set, the a replica of the set she's in the photograph, and then build two super funky art directed sets and just spend a day like down and dirty, like just building a library of stuff that we can now mix with our designs in After Effects. So we, you know, they were like, okay, we don't really want to go to the client and ask for more money. And we said, we'll cover the production. It's going to be super down and dirty. Bring your own food. If you can help out with the models, because, you know, we don't really pay talent generally. And the agency agreed to do it. I don't think they even told their client we were doing it. We filmed for a day. We had all these great assets. And then we mixed that with the design we've been working at for eight and a half weeks. And this is one of our most popular spots. And that's a perfect example of like run towards a problem, like yeah. find a way. Yeah. Even when the solution is incredibly complicated and maybe biting off more than you thought you originally were going to be chewing, right? Make it I, hard. Make it hard, exactly. <laughs> I love the idea of Kate Moss being like, oh, dang, I look good. Approved. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the rest of the story. Like, we quickly threw together an edit and sent it over to her. She approved everything barring one scene. It was a slight change, and we made the launch. Wow, that's incredible. That's so awesome. Yeah, I'm watching it right now. It's really cool. Oh, good. I was like, oh, Oren's lost interest. <laughs> no, no, no. Your, I've been kind of perusing your site. Every time you mention a spot, I kind of check it out. So I yeah, know what yeah. you're talking about. Well, definitely check out Costello and the behind the scenes of Costello because I think that really epitomizes things. That came to us as a CG project 
And then two days after we got the project, we heard that the client wanted the cheese to be real and to melt for real. And they came to all animation companies. And like I said, we have this sculptor, he was on the project and he was like, maybe we just, can we build this room for real and have it melt for real? And we went down parallel paths for a couple of days. We also believe in ideation through prototyping. So we did a bunch of tests, like built some of the props and filmed little tests of how it could look. And basically went back to the agency and saying, we're going down this road. And they said, okay, we have two other kid bidders, so hang yourself. Um, no, they were cool about it. They, they liked the test. And we won the project you know, a CG project by completely focusing on how can the execution be really interesting. My favorite project I ever worked on, Ogilvy, we were working with them on another project for IBM and they started talking about how these research scientists who won a Nobel Prize for the first building the first two-story microscope that could detect carbon atoms. And they had actually moved the atoms one by one into the IBM logo. And so we were like, wow, you know, if they can... That's mind-blowing right there. Yeah, yeah, there you go. A good collaboration. A good collaboration means at the end of the day, you don't remember where the ideas came from. But somehow we ended up in a conversation like, if they can make one still, you know, they can make multiple stills and we can make something in stop motion. I used to, you, so you did a stop motion with carbon atoms. Yeah. So that's incredible. And that's it won so the good. next award. Yeah. And it's just like so much fun to work with these Nobel Prize winning research scientists. Although oh, yeah. I've seen this. Yeah. Although the I boy say it's atoms, right? That's yeah. The one. Although I say at one point, the producer and I got quite friendly and she's like, I'm going to send you an email, but don't overreact. And then basically the email was these research scientists saying, ah, I, I just don't know about first ab machine. They don't seem to really understand what we're doing. And we're like, yeah, of course we don't. <laughs> we're not Nobel <laughs> Prize winning scientists. But we... Yeah, we, we all went a, to art school. <laughs> <laughs> we had such a we had a different way of speaking. Like they spoke in their language, we spoke in film language. So what we did is like running towards a problem. We flew out to them. We sat for a day making a glossary of terms that we'd all abide by. Like an atom was a pixel, and and really just tried to get on the same page with them and. You know they end up being great friends of ours and you know you just have to run at these problems you know without all the sort of ego and sort of pretense and just try to be vulnerable and find a great solution and you know we were that was a really fun one yeah that sounds incredible well we'll have all of those spots and it sounds like Oren's going to pick out a couple more of his favorites that we will put. I mean, they're, they're all incredible. I couldn't. I mean, they, yeah. you guys did the OK Go, the writings on the wall video. I mean, it, there's like, it's just an endless. Well, yeah, we'll that have was rag to the bone. website as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was tricky because we committed to 
one take. And I think that was probably our idea. Again, make it hard. And <laughs> really made it hard on us because there were so many things that came into play to make a cut to make a take work like forced perspective like every, the camera has to end up in the right exact right place for the perspective thing to work the was that bob partington too bob and aaron oh, cool. another collaboration the band had to be happy with their performance and the, all the gags had to work. So I think we had like over a hundred partial takes to get a take. You know, we have a couple takes there all the way through, but every, it was such a big reset that once we knew one thing didn't work, anyone could call cut. The band could call cut. The prop person could call cut. Like it didn't work. Like let's cut it because we've got a big reset. So it was really a commitment to this one take that people always say like, oh, you probably have some hidden edits. There aren't any. The only post we did in that was stabilizing the camera a bit. And Or in Checkout Gatorade Sweat Machine, we built the world's largest working treadmill. It was 70, 70 oh, feet yeah, long. No, I saw, I saw yeah. that one already. Yeah, the soccer yeah. field and stuff on a treadmill. So everybody else approached that with CG. We'll just shoot pieces and we'll stitch it all together in post. And... We're always trying to figure out like how do we differentiate ourselves. So we our pitch was like we're going to build this thing for real, and the, and the the athletes are going to be on it for real, and yeah, that's make it hard. <laughs> yeah, this rag and bone spot with Kate Mara, I've seen that one too. Is that also Bob Barnington? <laughs> that's also Aaron and Bob, and that was an interesting story because. That was the first year Rag and Bone decided they didn't want to do a runway show. They wanted to put out a film instead. And they came to us with sort of a list of amazing ingredients. Like we have Darius Kanji as DP. We have uh, Benjamin Millipede who did, who is a choreographer for the Black Swan. We have him as a choreographer. We have Tom York to do the music. And then we have these two stars. Um, Kate Mara and um, Baby Driver. Yeah. And we were like, wow, amazing list of ingredients. And then we were supposed to design the film. And we have always been obsessed with this 1970s experimental filmmaker called Tony Hill, who in the 70s created all these really amazing rigs to create in-camera practical effects. So we went over and met with him and he showed us these rigs. They were in a huge Quonset covered with dust and like all kinds of plants growing on them. So we dusted them up and put them on a steamship and brought them to New York to create all the in-camera effects. And there's a really, if you're to the listeners out there, if you're a nerd like check out the tony hill interview and the bts like it's so fun to see what he did and then how that played into the film awesome so many cool things yeah, yeah so awesome um they're all well, my babies just like you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. i feel like the lesson here is just whatever you work on make sure your bts is insanely awesome awesome <laughs> and it means that what you make is probably awesome, too. Well, cool. Well, thanks for joining us, Sam. Yeah, Sam, this was great. Do you want to hang out and endorse with us? I do. Unpaid endorsements. 
I've got a funny one. Are you, either of you familiar with the Instagram feed Shitty Rigs? No, but I like the name. It's a lot of like, I think, young filmmakers like shooting embarrassing rigs on their own sets. So it'll be like, oh, somebody uses gaff tape and a guitar stand and like, you know, puts it in the bathtub with a DSLR to get the shot or whatever. Or like, you know, people collaging together you know a tarp and then a reflector board and a this and a that and like some pvc pipe to make a a decent you know c-stand or whatever just kind of like the the lo-fi version of whatever film gear that you have or like you know a dude standing on a uh you know what are the like a forklift or something rather than having like a crane you know and so like the attitude of the of the instagram feed is like a little derisive, a little bit like, oh, this is like so janky or, or unprofessional or cheap. But I would say that it gives you a lot of good ideas. Like I'm not going to use like a guitar stand for uh, a tripod because fortunately, like I bought a tripod when I was 16 and it still works fine. But the, the ingenuity and the uh, inventiveness um, I think is inspiring. And it is a good reminder that like you don't have to have a tripod to stabilize your shot. And so uh, Shitty Rigs is, is a great Instagram feed to just kind of like keep that ethos in mind, kind of keep you reminded of like where we all came from. No one was born with a tripod in their hands. So uh, uh, Shitty Rigs is my endorsement. Okay, Sam, what do you get? There's a company called This Is Arc, and Arc is spelled A-R-C, and it's .com, This Is Arc. And we need to fill some really high-level positions, and we engage them. And I've worked with a lot of headhunters before, but I've never had an experience like this. Like they really dug into the culture of the company and they immediately had ideas for us. And we interviewed a lot of people, but the two people that they thought would be best are the two people that we ended up with. And they took such good care of us and just put like all heart and soul into the search and they were just amazing. So if you need a headhunter, I would definitely check out This Is Arc. Cool. Okay. So I have, I guess, like a, something that happened to me yesterday is this. I got a text message from someone saying, hey, I need uh, this 3D animation. I got your name from some producer. Like, are you interested in this job? Here's like kind of a reference for what it's supposed to look like. I could definitely try doing it, but I, I'm... It's not really like my specialty. And so I was trying to rack my brain for like who could do it. It's these kind of these like cartoony 3D characters that are supposed to kind of be animated in like a video game. Like, um, you know, when you choose your character, they're just kind of like standing and moving around. And so I was like thinking to myself, you know, I watch a lot of tutorials online and there's this one guy. His name is EJ Hassenfretz. His Instagram is iDesign, E-Y-E-D-E-S-Y-N, iDesign. Um, but he always does tutorials for these, like, cool 3D characters. And it just kind of occurred to me, like, why don't, like, I always watch all these amazing tutorials. Like, there's this guy, Wandering DP, I think we talked about him. It's like, does these amazing cinematography tutorials. And obviously, uh, you know, Michael from Lessons from a Screenplay. Uh, it's like an idea we've talked about a lot before, but... Um, Yesterday, I was like, you know what? I don't know this guy, but check him out. And he makes exactly what you want. And he seems like a really nice guy because I watch all his tutorials. Um, and then the guy's like, oh, thanks for the recommendation. And then uh, I was like, yeah, let me know if it doesn't work out. 
and I never heard from him again. So maybe it worked out. So uh, if you are trying to figure out how to get some help on something that, and you know, there's people like on YouTube, I guess it's, it's kind of an obvious thing, but like, I think sometimes we see people on social media and we're like, Oh, they're like at the top of their game or like, they're these, they're the person, you know, that does this thing. Like, I wish I could be like, like that at some point. Like, it's actually pretty easy to just reach out to that person and say, Hey, can we work together on something? So, um, I don't know, just, just that idea of like part of the power of social media that I think has been forgotten over like the past five years is that it is this like democratized place where everyone can talk to everyone. And so if you like someone's art online, like try to work with them if you can. Well, cool. Well, Sam, thanks so much for hanging out with us. We know the website firstavmachine.com. Is there anywhere else people should follow you on social media or anything? Yeah, you can check out our Instagram. It's just at firstavmachine. I'd say that's where we're most active. We do have a Twitter account, but I think we focus on Instagram. It's also at firstavmachine. So yeah, check it out. I had a lot of fun, you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, sure. Thanks for chatting with us. Okay, if you want to tell us what you think about us or Sam Penfield, we'd love to know. You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can follow us across all social media at justshootitpod. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at OKaplan. On Twitter, I'm at SmiteyPileg. And I'm at MrBadEnlo across all social media. This episode was edited by our very own Sarah Weirda. Our social media maestro is Derek Aiello. And our consulting producer is Ali Kornfeld. You're listening to the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And that's all she wrote. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.